0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 22 of the Essential Zodiac Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia McNulty.
1: And I'm Audrey Fannin.
0: We have a very special guest today. She's a dear friend of mine. Her name is Susanna Ravenswing. She and I will be discussing her new book about her path as a shaman called Singing to the North Wind. It's I'm very,
1: fantastic. It is. Thank you. It is. I have to
0: say, five stars or whatever they Thank do you. on Amazon. I don't know. I'm very excited. Susanna and I go way back. And so this is going to be an awesome episode. But first, we're going to talk about the astronomy and astrology of Yule, or the winter solstice. So that occurs on December 21st. It's the start of the Capricorn season. Now, you remember Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. So rule, follower, limitations. But when we have ideas and things like that, Saturn will help put it in a form to make it workable. Now, winter celebrations, I should say, have gone, they go back millennia. Solstice rituals date pre-Christian pagan festivals from the Scandinavian Yule to the seven-day Saturnalia festival in Rome. So here are some very interesting facts about the winter solstice and astrology that you might not have known. So we say that the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. Now, what I mean by that, it is the day with the least amount of sunlight. We still get our 24 hours, so... Um, A lot of people have asked me about that, so I thought I'd put it in there. The word solstice derives from the Latin etymology sol, which means sun, plus cisteri, which means standing still. Because, you know, back in the day before we had telescopes and astronomers to tell us what's going on, the sun looked like it was standing still, so that's where that came from. So we are in the northern hemisphere. So the solstice period occurs around December 21st, sometimes the 22nd. And you might ask, well, why is there a solstice to begin with? And that is because the spinning earth is tilted on its axis at a 23.5 degree angle. So for all you astronomy nerds out there, you're, that's a little tidbit. Count me in. Oh, you like that too? Yes, you have an app too on your, on your pad. I think that's very cool. Uh, so the opposing northern and southern regions of our planet receive more or less daylight as the Earth revolves around the sun. And that this is also what gives us our four seasons. So from our northern hemisphere vantage point above the equator, during the winter solstice, the sun has descended to its lowest point in the sky, which corresponds to the tropic of Capricorn latitude. Once the winter solstice concludes, the sun will appear to change direction, climbing each day... To its highest latitude point which is the tropic of cancer and that occurs of course in the summer and that'll be the summer solstice which occurs in june so one thing about astronomy astrology everything has a purpose it's not something random out there if you do a little research you you often find out you know the method behind what may appear uh, as the madness So Now, solstice rituals date back to pagan festivals long before Christmas as we know it. The Romans celebrated a festival called Saturnalia, and that was their main holiday late in December. It was celebrated between December 17th and the 23rd. Saturnalia traditions were quite lusty. There was a lot of drinking, and decadence, and sex. Named for the god Saturn, this festival essentially commemorates the dark days of winter period as the descending sun moves through the sign of Capricorn. The sign that is ruled by Saturn. For the sun-worshipping Romans, who claim two major illuminated solar deities, Sol and Mithras, December 25th was chosen as the day to end the festival, and it marked the triumphant return of the sun. So, for many of you pondering that date out there, back in the day, the Christian powers that be chose December 25th as the birth of Christ, keeping in, keeping in line with all the other solar celebrations, you know, sun and sun. And it was easier to sell to the people that they were trying to convert that they get, get to keep their holiday. But back in the day, Christmas is not how it was that we celebrate now. So, is the winter solstice the start of the winter season? Well, that depends. Uh, there are two definitions of winter uh, according to the old farmer's almanac. The astronomical winter begins at the winter solstice on December 21st, the meteorological winter in the Northern Hemisphere begins on December 1st and ends on February 28 or 29. So to infuse your winter solstice celebration with a touch of astrology, I recommend doing something to honor the sun, lighting candles in your house. If you have a fireplace, lighting your fireplace to burn a Yule log. You could bake a Yule log. They have thousands of recipes out there. (laughs) A nice hot drink like Yule wasal dates back to Old fertility rights
2: wassail is the anglo-saxon word for be well
0: there you go you, you, you wish
2: someone to be well by saying wassail
0: wow oh, and I you like raise that. a toast i <laughs> like <laughs> that oh thank you thank you um you could also honor the earth itself since capricorn is an earth sign and this is a nod to the nature based roots of the solstice uh bundle up for a hike Uh, then create a table space of the items that you collected on your hike. So, that is the astronomy and astrology of the solstice. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Susanna is going to tell us all about herself and her new book.
1: Keep up with all things astrology with Cindy and Essential Zodiac. She's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Essential Zodiac, and audiograms of this podcast can be found on YouTube under Cynthia McNulty. The Essential Zodiac podcast is published on all your favorite podcast channels, but if we've missed yours, drop us a note at easypodcast at yahoo.com. And episodes are also posted on the website EssentialZodiac.com. Back to you, Cindy.
0: Thank you, Audrey. So, uh, Susanna. Audrey and I welcome you to the podcast.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so excited. You have no idea. Um, Like I said, Susanna and I go way back together, so we're very dear friends. But Audrey and I know you very well. So as a way of introduction, so my listeners can meet you, can you give us
2: a brief bio of yourself? I was born in Winston-Salem and have just turned 70. I'm a wife, I'm a mother and grandmother, (laughs) and I'm a northern tradition shaman and elder. As an animist, I believe that all things are inspirited and should be engaged with from a place of collaboration and mutual respect. I'm also a polytheist, which means that I revere and honor multiple gods. I had a very unusual childhood. My father was a superintendent of a large state park, and so growing up in that wilderness really showed me a different way of relating to the world around me. Oh,
0: yeah, I can imagine. That must have been interesting.
2: Well, it, it really made me aware that what other people call things, trees and mountains and rocks, I experienced as beings, and that was really the beginning of the sacred work that I still follow. For many years, I made my living as a sacred smith, making fine gold and silver jewelry before it was in to be a jeweler, and making sacred tools that are used in a lot of different contexts, including the uh, the rededication of Stonehenge as a working sacred site back oh. in the 1970s. That's awesome. amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was wonderful to be, you know, asked mm. to do that. I'm also a musician, and as Cindy said, an author, and uh, have just released my second book, Singing to the North Wind, The Calling to an Extraordinary Life. More about that a little bit later. The psychic gifts are really strong in my family, and when you have those, you either learn how to master them, or they can make you a little on the crazy side. Yes, that's very (laughs) true. Yes, yes. and. Our society really doesn't provide support or context for individuals with those sorts of talents. We recognize, you know, when somebody has a gift for mathematics or a gift for the arts, but when they have intuitive gifts, you know, that's something that we tend to almost pathologize or deny. And so there's very little structure for people who have that aptitude to find support or to find guidance. So I flailed around initially trying to figure things out on my own, and uh, in the 1980s, I encountered the writings of Starhawk and began to read that, and that really resonated for me. Mm -hmm. And it became apparent that there were things I could only learn working with a group of people, learning in the context of a, a practicing group. So I put out a prayer and eventually encountered a woman who was a Gardnerian priestess and began to study and work with her in that era, there was a great deal of misinformation and fear Mm -hmm. and prejudice against anyone non-Christian in the Piedmont, and it felt important to me to try to educate the public, you know, so that they didn't need to feel those things. So I wound up really stepping into the role of educating. I was one of the first people to lead any kind of public pagan ceremony in the Piedmont, Lisa Castro and I appeared on one of the first public television programs about witchcraft and what it was. I remember what it was. that. I
0: remember that. And just to interrupt you for a second, mm-hmm. I have a. Pro- so when I decided to uh, initiate into my coven, my husband was confused, <laughs> to say the least, because, you know, it was really foreign ground for us. And the goddess smiled on me during this journey, and Susanna was offering simply a pagan 101 class. And, you know, was going to explore the very basics. And my high priestess Lisa told me about it. I told Jay about it. And he was he eagerly took the class. Oh, he was a great
2: student. He's yeah, wonderful.
0: I mean, he was, you know, it it allowed him to and it was also cool because it was an you know, an objective view, you know, Susanna was there to, of course, teach and have everybody learn, but she didn't have a personal stake in Jay and I, right? So it was very good to get that objective point of view. And he's like, Oh, okay, I get it now. And that made my journey a whole lot easier. So I thank you a million times over for that one, Susanna.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that Desire to educate is something that really comes naturally to me. My grandmother was a college professor. Mm. Both of her daughters were educators, and so you know that's just part of the family culture that I came up in. I went on to eventually help with the late Susan Wessels found the Path of the Moon Collective, which right. has continued until very recently. It may still be active for all I know. These days, my husband, Eric, and I live in sacred partnership with the land that we call Two Trees in Southern Stokes County, where I presently have my private shamanic practice. And I serve the community by healing people and healing the land. I have students and apprentices and also offer classes and public ceremonies through 18 Springs Community Healing Center in Winston-Salem. Very
0: cool. Very cool. So... Can you explain a little bit on how being a shaman differs from someone like myself? I, For simplicity purposes, I, I identify as a witch. It's a little bit more complicated, but for simplicity. Uh, so could you get into that a little bit for us?
2: Absolutely. Both traditions are practices rooted in indigenous spirituality and ancient practical wisdom. Both recognize the ability of skilled practitioners To access altered states of consciousness, and through that, to alter shared consensual reality through will and intention.
1: That's a very packed sentence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Would you mind unpacking that a bit for us? You
2: learn to master your own will and ability to visualize goals and create them through the aid of the techniques of magic, which you learn.
1: Very Very good. Mm -hmm.
2: So at the same time, shamanism differs because it is specifically a service profession. If I were working solely in a Norse context, you might refer to me as a sithakona or a vulva, both of which are words that mean witch, because ah, okay. in that culture, that, those right. were the terms for people doing the same thing that I do. But because my practice also incorporates a lot of Mongolian and Siberian elements, and those words are utterly unfamiliar to, you know, the right, people who come to right, me. Right. I use the word shaman because that's what my community has acclaimed me as. And uh, traditionally, you don't. It, it's not appropriate to call yourself a shaman. The people that you serve have to decide that that's the role you're Ace. filling in a community. Right.
0: I've heard that before. You know, if someone calls themselves a shaman, they're not a shaman. <laughs> it, can Basically. Be a, it can be a
2: red flag. Yeah, yeah. that's a red flag
0: <laughs> for you. So there you go. Another tip out there, guys.
2: Yeah, the uh, the word comes from a Siberian word meaning frenzy, and it's often used inappropriately. It's not a religion. It's a practice done within the context of an anchoring culture. And there's a big difference between practicing shamanic techniques and actually being a shaman. Most people claiming to be shamans use techniques out of context, and uh, they tend to incorporate a lot of New Age and other sorts of techniques mashed in, kind of appropriated techniques and culture that really aren't appropriately combined with it. True shamanism also is really specific to Mongolia, Siberia, Southeast Asia, and some regions of the Arctic. Many cultures, such as those in Central America, some Native American peoples, people in South America— have their own wisdom and medicine traditions that some people errantly refer to as shamanism, but really they're technically not. What they are is animists.
0: Right. Interesting. Um, Very interesting.
2: At its heart, shamanism is really about sacred reciprocity and right relationship. What I mean by that is that over time and with great care, the shaman cultivates this collaborative relationship with helping spirits that may be deities, their ancestors, or other spirits, and develop this working relationship where the spirits assist them in work that needs to be accomplished within the community.
1: I'll say, you know, having, having visited Two Trees, your land feels rich and loved.
2: Oh, it very much is. <laughs> and we are so fortunate to have found that particular piece of land.
0: Yeah, because it's hard these days to find some things. So that speaks to you. Mm-hmm. That speaks to you. So now, when we met 20 plus years ago, you were the high priestess in a Gardnerian tradition. As a way of explanation, guys, Gardnerian covens followed the teachings and traditions of Gerald Gardner and could trace their lineage back to him. And Gerald was one of the breakthrough people, along with a couple of others, who started bringing alternative spiritual practices back into the light. You know, they had been shoved in the closet and he and a lot of others opened that door. So what brought about the change for you to switch traditions?
2: Well, I've, I've always, throughout my life, been called into a deeper relationship with the sacred. I'm a searcher. In 2001, after searching for many years, Eric and I purchased this tract of land, two trees, mm-hmm. that I've spoken of near Germantown, and basically began a relationship with the land as the third partner. In our marriage, and with the guidance of the land, we eventually built a small cottage. Our focus began to shift away from the local pagan community onto that process of cultivating that relationship, you know, really listening to the land and its guidance as to how we could best live on it as good stewards. I was no longer affiliated with a coven at that point in time, and so our ceremonies began to really become increasingly spontaneous, honoring um, the cycles of nature instinctively in a way that the land showed us. You know, this is this is a time of awakening. This is a time of preparation. This is a time of harvesting. This is a time of rest. And this is the way it was for our ancestors. They were observant. Yes, and and their practices true. were driven by their relationship with the natural world for the simple reason that if they didn't pay attention to it, they didn't survive. That is so right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Very fundamental.
0: <laughs> there was no question. Yep.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So, as we were doing that, uh, during that period, both of my parents passed, and we found ourselves working increasingly with our ancestral spirits. You know, we we're both of Scandinavian and Germanic and Scottish ancestry, so we we're working with Celtic and Norse mm-hmm. deities and practices, and, you know, just doing what felt right. And that has really been the litany of my life to learn to trust my instincts and honor that kind of higher guidance even when everything around me said don't do it don't do it to trust that you know i had had my trust in myself undermined a lot as a child as many children in our culture do mm-hmm. yeah. and so this life journey has been about reclaiming that sovereignty and that trust in myself so by 2015 the Norse gods were really playing a strong role in my spiritual practice and that year, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and eventually underwent surgery to remove my thyroid and some other bits and parts. <laughs> that created a situation that threw my electrolytes out of balance and on the brink of death. I, I literally was in the process of dying and I knew I was dying. The Norse goddess Freya appeared and surrounded me with the most wonderful, loving energy and began to take me apart. And rebuild me. This is consistent with classic shamanic practice that, that right. you undergo this this dismembering and rebuilding experience that...
0: Right. your your cup is completely emptied.
2: Absolutely, and, and yes. taken apart and rewired. And when I came up out of that, you know, everything was in balance, and I really experienced the world around me in a different way. It was as if someone had really turned up my sensitivity significantly. That left me then challenged to try to figure out how to manage that heightened sensitivity, which was quite overwhelming. Right, sure, know, I, yeah. T- to walk yeah. in a Walmart, forget it. You know, there was just no, absolutely no, no white deer in the I headlights.
0: Don't go, I don't go to the mall anymore. I don't go to the mall anymore. I just
2: can't handle it. <laughs> well, I owe my life to Freya, and I will serve her for the balance of my life sure. through service to my community and to my holy powers, She's a goddess of love and passion. For those who are not familiar with her, that's that's the way most people think of her as this sort of sexy Nordic woman. But there's a whole lot more to her <laughs> oh, than that. Yeah the, oh, yeah, the
0: goddesses are multi-dimensional.
2: <laughs> She's also a fierce battle goddess. She gets to choose the first third of the slain on the battlefield, even before Odin himself. She picks the first third of those to go to her hall, says And interestingly, women who die in childbirth are also considered heroes and go to Freya's hall, which mm. I love. I, I love, love that, that yes. Because if you've given birth, you know that's a heroic act. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think the thing that that has been most prominent in my relationship with her is that She really teaches and emphasizes self-esteem. She Mm. just really focuses on the reclamation of sovereignty, especially for women. Right. And that is so important as we deal with the force of the patriarchy in our Mm. dominant culture. Very Um, true. So true. true. She is the teacher of Sether, which is the word, the Norse word for magic, and was the person that Odin even went to to learn. She made him wear a skirt for a year. Before she was willing to teach him these powerful arts that she I like knew. Yes. I
0: like this goddess. I like this goddess. She's my kind of gal. Huh? Yeah. So, so
2: that is how I made my way from a Gardnerian priestess to a Northern tradition right. shaman.
0: That's very interesting. And
2: and I would mention that in the wake of this dying and remaking. What I wound up ultimately doing was seeking out formal apprenticeship and going through very, very rigorous training, Mm -hmm. a lot of ordeals. It was no walk in the park and eventually initiation. And I am considered an elder in the Northern Shamanism Guild at this point.
0: Very cool. You know, I always find it fascinating on how we come to our spirituality. My spirituality is very important to me. When I didn't have a spiritual home, I really felt lost, and that's not a cliche. But what I've noticed is people I've talked to who are who identify as shamans, witch, spiritual warriors, Norse, whatever, have all have like this crisis in their lives. I went through a crisis in my life, not certainly not as dramatic and terrifying as <laughs> as you did, Susanna, but the life as I knew it was in turmoil and going to implode right and my tr- I was raised Catholic and when I went to my priest you know because that's what we were taught to do you know I mean basically he told me I was a bad person and to leave so I didn't get what I needed so eventually things worked out and but I said I would never step foot in the Catholic Church again, but I needed something. You know, so I went through all my research and everything. But I just find it fascinating that, you know, all the pagans I've talked to have some kind of moment, that that watershed moment where they're like, you know, no, I, I have to find or I have to listen to that voice. I think it
2: just speaks to the Mm -hmm. deficit in in the the spiritual traditions which are most broadly accepted in our culture.
0: Very true. You know, I always I joke around with my high priestess all the time that I became a better Catholic when I initiated into the coven (laughs) (laughs) because you 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 know you're kind of like she in the congregation you're kind of like watching a play you know you there are some parts for you to you know repeat after but all the mystery all the important stuff you're not told you know it's like well you know you don't need like don't ask don't tell kind of thing so when um i started initiating in Clan Celtic and getting my lessons and learning I was like well that's why they did blah 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 so but I always find that fascinating. Now what are some of the services you offer Susanna? What could we Get from you?
2: Fundamentally, I'm a healer and a spiritual counselor. Clients come to me who are struggling in their lives, and I help them explore spiritual components that contribute to their life difficulties. And there can be lots and lots of different sorts of factors. I can use tools such as ceremony and divination in exploring that and opening that up. Divination is really important in my practice. While I use tarot and other familiar forms, I primarily use the Norse runes, which is a 33 symbols that are inspirited, and uh, they really work together in a very cohesive way that's not immediately accessible People often say, oh, Well, I have runes, but I can't get them to make any sense because you have to court them as individuals. Right, you know, right, you have right. to establish friendships with them as individuals and work with them respectfully as individuals. Otherwise, they just don't play. You know, it's
1: that simple. So many people don't think about their tools in that way. Absolutely. But I'm an
2: animist, so every one of my tools. Is a friend. I walk into my workspace and I honor my drums. I say good morning to my shaman's coat. I go to my altar and I greet the things that are on my altar because they aren't things, they're friends. And I could not do my work without their assistance. They empower me and they protect me and they offer me insight that I can then bring to the table with my clients. I also serve as what's called a spicana or a medium. I go into a trance state, and the holy powers are able to speak through me. I deal with problematic spirits in spaces, what some people would call (laughs) ghost-busting, cleansing houses, cleansing land that's had bad things on it. This is an aspect of geomancy, which, Audrey, you have experienced some of with me. Yes, yes, that's fascinating. That, that idea that we can bring the energy in a place or a piece of land into balance in such a way that it supports the best health of those right. there, you know, whether it's the people or the trees or whatever is present
1: you know you need susanna if there's just an icky place in your in your house or you know yes. on your land <laughs>
2: and and i've had enough follow up feedback from clients to know that what we do together to to resolve that really does make a significant yes. difference oh, in yes. the space going forward i also you know as a priestess or a clergy person of any sort would i create rites of passage I hand fast and marry people, I bless babies, I bless houses, I do funeral rites for people, you know, officiate whatever a legitimate clergy person can in the state of North Carolina. Right. But in many ways, what I'm really doing is doing these things in the context of Nordic and Eurasian culture. And these are cultures that have contributed significantly to us in the West, but I think a lot of those contributions have been overlaid with you know, more recent things, and so they're sort of lost in the dimness of the past.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense.
2: So the other really important thing that I do is I teach. You know, I I have apprentices who I work with, preparing them, because I know what it's like to have your brain rewired and then struggle to function in the world. And so part of what I'm doing is teaching them the skills they need to manage their gifts in a way that keeps them sane and thriving, Uh, because, you know, we joke in my tradition that psychic gifts and and (laughs) bat-beep-crazy exist on the same, you know, teeter-totter, and the challenge is to kind of stay on the healthy end of that that seesaw.
0: If you don't have an outlet or a place you could go to say, am I crazy? I, I have all this going on. You know, you do begin to doubt your sanity, Right but if there is someone you could go to someone you respect an elder and they can sit you down and say no this is this is good this is good this is what you need to do you know it's a whole different
2: kind of situation and and a lot of times that's why people come to me and what we win, wind up discovering is that it's not an either-or. Yes, they may have gifts, but they also may need to do some deep healing work inside themselves. Right. And so I have a network of practitioners in the area with lots of different skills, and I am a huge fan of therapy. I've spent many years in therapy, and it has been <laughs> deeply empowering and healing for me. So I, I know what I can and cannot help people with, and I can make suggestions about what else they might do. And a lot of times, even if you have gifts, the message from your holy powers is, you know, deal with your own stuff first and get Mm -hmm. that out of the way so that you have a stable, grounded foundation and you're not manifesting things that you might unconsciously have issues around.
0: Right. And any reputable healer will not put you astray if you need traditional pharmacology, they will suggest that, or therapy, or something else. They won't just take your money and throw some herbs on you. That is a big red flag if they do, if they discourage you from getting traditional help. I mean, I found in, you know, with my own health, I combine the two. Yes. You know, I have some, you know, herbal remedies, and I also take you know, regular medication. And I, you know, wake up every morning and everything is cool. (laughs) So that's a big red Mm -hmm. flag that you want to pay attention to out there. Now, to access uh,
2: Susanna's services and to take a look, uh, you have your website. Yes, um, they can find out more about my practice by going to uh, SusannaRavensWing.com. And there's information about my background and various services that that I uh, offer. And, uh, you know, the question about money and this kind of work often comes up. And there's this prejudice that's been injected mostly through this new age, you know, fluffy bunny kind of (laughs) attitude that if you're spiritual, you ought to just offer it for free. I have spent my life learning my skills. I have spent hundreds and thousands of hours learning my skills. And so my fees are, as my goddess of self worth has directed me to do, on mm-hmm. par with what you would pay for a good massage, you know, a good herbalist session or a good therapist session. Because my skill, although different, is on par with those. And sometimes people, you know, look at the fees and they go, "Oh my God, you charge a lot." I charge a lot because I know what I'm doing. Right? <laughs> yeah. No. But I, it's not yeah. a lot. It's not a lot. it's right. what, it's, it's an investment in you.
0: Yeah, unfortunately I get that a lot too. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, my they'll they'll say to me, Well, I could get a Natal Tart for, you know, five bucks and I'm like, Well be my guest. Going go right for ahead. It. Right yeah. you know.
2: You get what you pay for. Yeah,
0: you get <laughs> go ahead. But yeah, I people don't understand the, you know, blood, sweat and tears and training that we go through to become adept and be able to offer our services. So just like going you know, to your dentist or your doctor, you know, we
2: need to make a living too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and it's really important to me to be able to share and pass on the knowledge that I've accumulated. I've referred to myself as a spiritual archaeologist because I'm basically relearning techniques that the church actively suppressed for, you know, thousands yeah, of right. years. Yeah. Um, and so I think the important thing there is that I don't want, what I've learned to die with me. It's important. Sure. You know, and I find that that is true with my colleagues and with the other elders in my tradition is that, you know, we've had to work so hard to reclaim this knowledge, and we really want to see that it doesn't die with us. We want it to,
0: oh, definitely. to be yes. on. Yes. You also had an article published recently. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. I, I was really delighted to have an article included in the December issue of Sacred Hoop magazine, which is a, an internationally acclaimed magazine on shamanism. And the article had to do with my process of creating my, my shaman's coat in my tradition. Fully initiated shamans create a sacred garment that functions as both their armor, their protected armor when they're dealing with malevolent spirits, and also sort of a battery to pull energy from. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that article was included in Sacred Hoop and just really tickled to have it there. Oh,
0: yeah, that is very cool. That is very, very cool. And now, what will your Yule celebration look like?
2: Well, we've mentioned the fact that a lot of our modern Christmas traditions actually have their roots in Germanic and Scandinavian traditions. I think it's important to recognize that The Norse people had no standardized practice. Everybody from one farmstead to another did something different. They did what felt right to them. They honored the deity or deities that felt right to them. And so there's no sort of standardized way of doing things. At Two Trees, we sweep out the wood stove and put a, a yule log in it and dress the yule log. And uh, we stand for a few moments in the dark of the house, just holding hands, Eric and I, and we give thanks for all the blessings of the year that's passed. We say words about our commitments to each other in the year to come and our hopes for the year to come. And then as Eric lights the Yule log, I sing a, a traditional song honoring the spirit of fire called "A Way on Day.". Oh, nice. um, I'll hail the gods and the ancestors, and then we honor them with feasting, um, traditionally offerings of roast pork, fruit, vegetables, and a dish called browse, which is made with barley and root vegetables and usually meat broth, or stock of some sort. That sounds good. (laughs) Then we get up before dawn the next morning and go to a sacred mountain near us to hail the return of Sol or sunnah, as we know in the northern tradition, and we sing up the sun. Uh, We do a lot of singing in my tradition, or at least I do. Song is a really important part of how I work as a practitioner. And we've done this for 30 years going up there. So it's become, you know, like a reset Place for our year. We get up there and it's quiet and it's cold and it's still. And there's just this falling away of all the detritus of the prior mm-hmm, year mm-hmm. and this opening to the possibility of the year to come.
0: That sounds awesome. And
2: then, you know, the other thing I'll be doing is leading a ceremony at 18 Springs, a public winter solstice or Yule ceremony at 18 Springs Community Healing Center on Rinalda Road on Wednesday, December 21st and that's from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. There's not any cost to participate, although we ask you to wear masks, and if you can make donations to the scholarship fund at 18 Springs, that's really appreciated. There'll be some light refreshments, and, you know, we'll just be engaged in ceremonies honoring both dark and light.
0: Cool. I've had the pleasure to participate in Many ceremonies that Susanna has done, and you really don't want to miss this. <laughs> I mean, you will definitely get something out of it. You know, it's it's magical, really. Is
2: one last question? Tell us about your book. The book is called "Singing to the North Wind: The Calling to an Extraordinary Life," published by Vanities Publishing, and. It is really a book for those who are seekers. It's a memoir of my life journey into sacred service, and it explores the power of deep, collaborative connection with nature and living one's truth. We live in a society that is inclined to put people into tidy little boxes. Oh, it's very yeah. productive. <laughs> and when you're an individual who doesn't fit neatly into those boxes, life in our culture can be very, very difficult and um, yeah. I just really wanted to share my own journey as a way of giving others hope. And to say, you know, it is possible to live a powerful, authentic, self-created life. So the book is available from me at sravenswing at com. It's also available through Amazon and in most bookstores. And uh, I really hope that you will enjoy it.
1: I found with both of your books, the Dwargar book and Singing to the North Wind, really made me rethink some of my own rituals or process, you know, just in terms of engaging with my own creations, my own spirituality. I, I really appreciate them. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's
2: what it's all about.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> wonderful. Well, guys, that's a wrap for today. Um, I hope you all enjoyed our very special episode. Our next episode will be about the new moon in Capricorn, and that'll air on the 23rd. Uh, So remember, with astrology, you can chart your life's course.
1: Bye now. Thanks for joining us for this special episode with Northern Tradition Shaman Susanna Ravenswing. If you're in the Winston-Salem area, be sure to join her for that Winter Solstice Yule celebration on December 21st, and learn more at her website, SusannahRavensWing.com. Production of the Essential Zodiac Podcast is made possible in part by Patreon members. If you'd like to become a patron, visit EssentialZodiac.com and click on the red Become a Patron link. Happy Yule and blessed Winter Solstice to you all.